0: Amen. Well, one of the things that we've been looking at in, in the last couple of sermons is that the enemy distracts believers. And one of the things that I want you to see is that as we get closer to the return of Jesus, the enemy does not wind down, he actually winds up. One of the things that we see throughout Scripture, a theme in Scripture, is that the 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 closer we get to a big move of god the more the enemy works whenever you see something like uh, sodom and gomorrah whenever god destroyed it 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 got very vile there towards the end Um, one of the things you see about the um the the uh, place where noah was the world noah lived in it got more wicked by the day until the point that it grieved god and so, you know, before you see a big move of God, you'll see that the enemy is given more liberty to roam and do more destruction than normal. And one of the things that is going on in our generation and our time is that the enemy is bringing in, bringing in mass discord into the church. Um, in the 1800s, there was a, a, a boom, of false religions that begin to pop up, whether they're Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness or Seventh-day Adventism, all that kind of stuff all originated in the 1800s, um, all kinds of crazy things, uh, Christ consciousness, all kinds of crazy things. Well, one of the things that, that I want to point out is um, here in verse uh, number nine, we're talking about the Antichrist, but one of the things I want to point out, beginning in verse number nine, it says, "Even him, whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved." Now, here's here's a mark uh, of people who fall for the Antichrist. It is because They will not receive the love for the truth that they might be saved. In other words, there's a carelessness about them. A carelessness about them. If you have a carelessness about you, you are a prime target for the enemy in the end times. If you have a carelessness about it, um, in, in, in other words, if the truth is not what you yearn for, you've got a problem on your hands. Because if the truth is not what you yearn for, there's greater and greater opportunity for you to fall by the wayside in the coming days. Uh, Because they did not love the truth that they might be saved. And look at verse number 11. And for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness well see one of the things about the end times is if somebody is not going after truth if somebody's not standing firm on the truth and somebody's not holding and adhering to it then God is going to send them a delusion amen because they didn't love the truth so we all have a a a responsibility to bind ourselves to the truth to bind ourselves to the truth, to seek the truth. How many of y'all know that Jesus is the truth? You know that that every uh, false leader of every religious movement always said, I think I know truth. But Jesus didn't say, I think I know truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? Amen. So he didn't claim to know truth. He didn't claim to have a higher level of truth. He claimed to be the truth. Amen? Amen. And and the, the confirmation of his proclamation is the resurrection. Because Buddha's still in the grave, Muhammad's still in the grave, Confucius still in the grave, they all still in the grave, their bones are still on earth, but Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father. Amen. That tomb is empty. And we praise God for that. Amen. So one of the things that we see is that in these in, in the last days, there's going to be this, um, this delusion. And, and one of the things about a delusion that I would say is it is a distraction. It's a distraction. It's that the enemy gets you off course by looking at something, amen, that's not true. The enemy will get you off course by focusing on something that's not real, amen. Well, um, as we get into this, it's very important for you to see something, um, but go with me to Ephesians chapter six, Ephesians chapter six, and we're going to pick this same passage up today. So Galatians, Ephesians, and go all the way to the end of chapter six. And what we've been dealing with is the armor of God, and we haven't even gotten into the armor of God because we're in these first couple of verses. One of the things that we're going to look at right here is, is the wiles of the devil, It says in verse number 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Amen. Somebody was listening. Amen. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You try to do it in your own strength, you're going to fail. Can I get a witness? But when you rely on the strength of Christ, amen, you will be victorious. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So we're going to be strong in the lord and in the power of his might and and moving on down into verse number 11 the bible says put on the whole armor of god that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil and the word wiles means the trickery deceivableness deceitfulness uh, the schemes and the plans of the devil now, before we get into the schemes and the plans and the trickery of the devil, let's think about his end game. His end game is not to find somebody to play tic-tac-toe with. His end game is not, is not just to uh, take a few things from you. His end game, Jesus said in John chapter 10, is to steal, kill, and destroy. Amen? Amen. So the enemy is not tickle me, Elmo. He is to be avoided at all costs. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so one of the things that we want to look at is what are the wiles of the devil? So the Bible here tells us to put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand against these tricks. Well, what are the tricks of the enemy? One of the things that we're supposed to do is not be ignorant of his devices. His devices are the things that he uses to distract you from Jesus. The things that he uses to distract you from Jesus. If the devil can get you distracted from Jesus, he's got you where he wants you. He's got you where he wants you. If you'll stay focused and locked in on the truth, Jesus. If you'll stay focused and locked in on what Jesus is doing in you, right? You'll be all right. You'll be able to stand. But once you begin to get focused on the side issues, how many of you know that's when you set yourself up for a fall? That's when you begin to set yourself up to be taken out. That's when you begin to set yourself up to become deluded Deceived and tricked. How many of you have ever talked to somebody that's been deluded? You've ever talked to somebody that's been deluded? They will swear to you that they know the truth, but they are so deceived and so in bondage and so in darkness, they can't even see that they're headed for a train wreck. Okay? That's what we're talking about here. The devil, he brings these wiles uh, to do this. Well, one of the things that that we looked at earlier is that the enemy will get you to focus on circumstances circumstances. And just to sum up circumstances are circumstantial, meaning they change, but God doesn't change. So what would the enemy rather you focus on? God who doesn't change or circumstances that are circumstantial. And yet what do we focus on? Circumstances. Our God never changes, but that's the last thing we go to. Our circumstances change hour by hour, minute by minute, and that's what we focus on. And that's why too many believers are uh, just in the palm uh, uh, of the devil's plan. So one of the things that we want to look at tonight is uh, something, but I want to look at it from a spiritual aspect. So in order to do that, let's go to Luke chapter number 12. Luke chapter number 12 powerful powerful passage here and what I want to minister to you about is covetousness covetousness how many of y'all know that coveting coveting is one of the uh, ten commandments it's in one of the ten commandments right you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, right? But how many of you know it doesn't stop there? Amen. Or his manservant or maidservant or house or anything. Right. Or anything that is your neighbor's. That means you're not supposed to covet after anything that's not yours. But if the devil can get you to begin to look at and long for that which is not yours... He will distract you from what God's wanting to do in your life. Amen? Now, how many of y'all know that that there's not many people that would probably outwardly say, you know, I'm just so coveting after more money? That's most of the time whenever people think about coveting, they think about money. Uh, But coveting is actually a spiritual condition of not being satisfied and content with where you are in life. Coveting is is whenever we're desiring that which is not ours, whatever it may be. And don't get all pious. Don't, don't be like the one guy that said, well, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Y'all remember that, right? When Jesus said to love your neighbor, and he said, well, who's my neighbor? Whoever is in front of your eyes. How about that? That's what I would have said. <laughs> Jesus said it, you know, better, but. But the, the Bible says that this is one of the Ten Commandments, not to cover after your neighbor, not to covet after your neighbor's wife, manservant, maidservant, house, or anything that's your neighbor's. So if you're if your neighbor has something that you don't, you're not supposed to desire it. But how many of you know that the devil, if he can get you to covet after something, you will, right? They have a child. I don't. Why did they get a child and why did I not? They got married and I didn't. They must have done something to get that. Coveting can come at us from many different levels. So, Do you know that there are people who will covet after a position in ministry? They can almost taste it, the power. They can covet after something that is supposed to be a blessing. But coveting after things is not just materialistic. It can be spiritualistic, meaning a position, a job, a title. You could covet after popularity. You could covet after, you know, uh, nobody likes me. Everybody likes her. Nobody talks to me. You could covet after so many different things. But it all, all coveting is, is a symptom. Listen to this. All coveting is a symptom of not being content with Christ right now. I'm a shopaholic. Why? I don't know. I just feel like I got to get more and more. Why do you got it? Why, why are you not content? Well, I'm a thisaholic. Why are you a holic of anything? Alcoholic, shopaholic, clothesaholic, TVaholic, whatever it is a holic of. It shows that we're not content in our present. Well, you wouldn't be content if you was where I'm at. Well, with that kind of attitude, you never will be content. Greater people than us spent their lives in prison for Christ, and were are content to do it. In fact, I shared earlier about John Bunyan who spent many years in prison writing Pilgrim's Progress. And do you know that there were ministers that were praying for his release while he was in the middle of writing it? He told them, stop. Stop. God's doing something right now where I'm at. He was content. God had him there for a reason and a season. Amen? Amen. If he would have been ill-content with where God had put him, he wouldn't have been able to write what he wrote. What about Paul? How many times did he write an epistle, two-thirds of the New Testament, from a place of affliction? But he was content in it. That's why he wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because he had found a place of contentment that no matter what he was in, God was with him. And if God's with me in it, why should I want to get out of it? So coveting is a symptom of us not being content with what we have and where God has us. If you're single, be content. Be content in Christ. If you're married... Don't look to the left or to the right right now. Be content. Whatever your lot is, don't find contentment from the world because you will never get it. That's the lie of the enemy. That's the promise of eating the forbidden fruit. You'll finally be who you should be. You'll finally be a God. You'll finally have contentment. You'll finally have worth. Your worth is in Christ. Your value's in Christ. Your contentment is in Christ. Not the things of the world. Not in spouses, fortunes, jobs, clothes, children. None of that stuff will ever bring contentment. If you go after those things, you'll, you'll, it will be an eyesore to you. It'll end up being a thorn in your flesh. If that's what you long for, that spouse will be your demise. If that's what you long for, if you go after that position, if you covet a position, that position will be a thorn in your flesh. It'll bring you down. Let me, let me, let's get in, into this in Luke chapter number 12. Look at this in verse number 13. Well, look, First look at verse number 12. It's just the end of a passage. Let me just show you something though. This is so interesting to me so interesting to me version number 12 the bible this jesus is ending a conversation and he's 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 telling them that there's going to be an hour whenever they're going to have to give an account for who they are and it's going to be crazy because they're going to be taken into jail they're going to be taken into synagogues they're going to be beaten it's going to be a hard time which we're coming up into that season and he said for the holy ghost shall teach you in that same hour what you ought to say so, Jesus just drops this huge bomb, and he's just a spiritual bomb, not real. Spiritual bomb, and he says, Look, it's going to be so bad, but don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit's going to give you the words to say. And somebody looks up and says, One of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide my inher- the inheritance with me. What? What? I'm telling you right now that that you're going to have to give an account for what you believe. They're going to beat you. They're going to drag you before courts. And it's going to be hard. But don't worry, the Holy Spirit's going to give you the right words at the right time. And somebody says, "Uh, Master, will you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? What? What? Are you not listening, right? But you know he didn't chastise him for that, right? Which m- most of us would most of us would have said, "Are you not listening to what I'm saying? I- I'm wasting my breath here with you, right?" Jesus didn't do that. Jesus is more compassionate than us. Amen. But let's look at his response. I just find it interesting that Jesus is dropping this huge spiritual truth. And this guy goes straight from huge spiritual truth to the natural. What where if, if somebody goes straight from huge spiritual truth to the natural, doesn't that show you where their heart is? Right? Shows you where their heart is. Oh, God was moving tonight, and souls got saved. How much was the offering? What? Oh, God was moving tonight. Somebody came up and got delivered from alcohol, right? Well, how many people were there? Wow. Wait, wait. I'm talking about something huge spiritually. Stop talking about things that are natural, right? How many of you get excited about whenever God starts moving in your life, right? Amen. And you know what the enemy's first thing is? Did you pace WebCo? Did you see what they're wearing? Nobody said hi to you? The enemy will try to get you straight to go from this huge spiritual experience to natural. Right? Come on. God's moving. God's stirring. And then all of a sudden you forget about, oh, I told I told Aunt Judy I was going to call her. I better, I better stop praying right now and go call Right? The enemy will do anything to get you to focus on the natural, especially when God is moving in the spiritual. And so Jesus right here is dropping this huge spiritual bomb. The guy says, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. You know, in the Hebrew culture, the inheritance, most of it went to the elder brother. Younger brother didn't get very much. You can look at Jacob and Esau later on on that how that got reversed. But, um, but there was a great, it wasn't evenly split, okay? Um, and so he wanted it to be evenly split. Naturally, well, that's the only right thing to do. But spiritually, we're right in the middle of something. You with me? And look what Jesus said. And he said unto him, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? In other words, why are you bothering me with this? Jesus could have solved the issue, but he said, why are you bringing this to me? And he said unto him, take heed and beware of covetousness. Now, do you think that Jesus told him this because the guy was already gone or because Jesus loved him and saw he was headed for danger? Number two, Jesus loved him. And Jesus saw this guy is about to go off the rails. Amen? And and, and let's be honest, because from time to time, all of us get too focused and too preoccupied on the things of the natural. There's just those things come up, and we start focusing on those natural things. and, And this guy, totally oblivious to this natural thing Jesus was just talking about, how many of you have ever had that natural thing on your heart and your mind so much, it didn't matter what a minister said, you wasn't even paying none attention to it. Right? And then they said, they came up right to you and they said, Isn't that right? And you went, Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cause you was all thinking about how you gonna how you gonna swing that swept code bill or whatever. Right? See, we the enemy will get us distracted by the natural to keep us off the spiritual. And, and, and Jesus loves this guy. He did chastise him, but he said, look, you need to take heed and beware of covetousness. So let's look at covetousness for a few more moments. Take heed. I love this word, take heed. It, it, it basically means to pull the boat back into harbor. How many of you know what it, it, it's like whenever you get set off? You don't have to raise your hand on that one. It, 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 it's when, you know, somebody pushes your button and you launch right? You get out there. Well, take heed means bring the boat back to shore. That's actually what the Greek means there. Um, it, it, it just means, you know, you, you realize you've done launched out in the water. In, in, in this case, you realize, you know what? I probably should be focusing on the spiritual things instead of how much money I'm going to get when my dad dies. I, I, I need to bring this boat back in. I'm letting it get out of hand. If you you can't acknowledge the fact that sometimes you get out of hand, that's even a problem. So take heed means admit you're on the wrong sea and bring the boat back to harbor, back where you're supposed to be, and beware of covetousness. Beware just simply means watch out for it, right? Watch out for covetousness. Coveting, simply put, is a greedy desire to have or an inordinate strong desire to obtain or possess something, right? Possess something supposedly good. The enemy is going to get you to try to focus on something that's supposedly good. Well, if I could get that inheritance, I could pay off my tractor, and then I could get a new mule, and I could do this, and I could do that. Then I could serve God. Supposedly good, but it's distracting you from the supernatural right now. So that's what the enemy wants to do. And, and, and let's, let's look at the, the end of this. Because we're talking about a good. Look at this. Beware of covetousness, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Listen. Things can possess you. Jobs can possess you. Positions can possess you. Gaining a spouse can possess you. Getting a child can possess you. You can get get sidetracked by a noble cause. Well, if I got my inheritance... Then I could buy that tractor, get that mule. Then I could go serve God. You're getting sidetracked by a noble cause and not allowing God to minister to you in the here and now. And that that would mean that the the possession has done possessed you or that which you seek has got you instead of the other way around. If the enemy can get you to go after it, It's got you. If the enemy can get you to go after it, it's got you. If I could just have that. You know what? Promotion comes from God. Promotion comes from God. Doesn't come from the east or from the west, but it comes from God. That's what the Bible says. And so, in God's timing, he's going to do what he wants to do, and we don't really have to worry about it. If God wants to promote you, if God wants to give you a position, if God wants to give you a job, if God wants to give you a spouse, if God wants to give you a child, he's going to do it, whether you like it or not, sometimes. Sometimes. But the enemy will try to get you distracted by what you have or don't have. Instead of focusing on whose you are, you're focusing on what you don't have or what you think you need. Amen? It's far more critical right now that you focus on whose you are. I can face tomorrow not because of what I have. I can face tomorrow not because of my job title. I can face tomorrow not because of the money in the bank. I can face tomorrow, not because this, that, or the other, but one reason, because he lives. Whose are you? Does he live in you? That's why you can face tomorrow, because the money may not be there, or the money could cause you to stumble. The job may not be there, or it could cause you to stumble. All kinds of different scenarios when you begin to focus on the things. If the possession possesses you, what good is it? It's not. If the possession possesses you, it is a thorn in your side. And it is contributing to your delusion. It is contributing to your distraction. It is contributing to the wile of the devil in your life. If the possession possesses you, it is no good. This happens whenever we get our priorities out of whack. When God is no longer the thing that we hunger and thirst for, but it's something. God's not a something, he's God. And if you hunger and thirst for anything short of God himself, you are hungering and thirsting for a thing, a created thing, a thing that brings no eternal value, and that thing will become a thing in your side. And so coveting can, can take many different ways, many different forms. And one of the things that you see right here is that Jesus is warning about coveting. When our, priori- when our priorities get out of whack, this happens. Well, let's look briefly the original coveter. The original coveter. Go to Isaiah. The book of Isaiah chapter number 14. So right after Psalms and Proverbs, we're going to get into Isaiah chapter number 14. The original coveter is a fallen angel named Lucifer. Beginning in verse number 12, the Bible says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? position. Amen. Lucifer coveted Godhood, which is one of the strong warnings in the word of faith movement, little gods. don't covet what is God's, God is God alone. Amen. Don't touch what is God's. but Lucifer, the original coveter coveted after wanted desired, what was God in God's alone his position and who he was that he was exalted above all things and that coveting it was an inordinate desire an inordinate desire in other words it is a desire that shouldn't be there should have been content with where he was because he was not content with where he was he desired what he did not have what was never gonna be his And it caused him to fall, the first coveter. Well, just for the sake of time, we'll talk about another famous coveter in the Bible. The Bible's there for our example to keep us, right? David and Bathsheba, famous coveter. David sees someone taking a bath, Bathsheba, and desires what is not his. Amen? And he's even told. This is somebody's wife, David. Sin for her anyways. You know that once you begin to covet after something, you you no longer are rational? Once you begin to covet after something, you're no longer rational. Somebody could give you good, solid, godly advice, and you just look at them, nod your head, and you keep on going. Coveting will delude you. Coveting will delude you. It deceives you. Coveting will get you to become insensitive to the voice of God. And and so you see in David's life, and this caused a strong fall. I mean, it it, it was bad. It was very bad. Um, And and this this coveting took David to a place he didn't want to go. In fact, it cost his child the life, right? Cost the life of the child. Coveting will do that. Coveting has consequences, spiritually and physically. Well, one of the things that we see about David is that, that, that David had wives, but he wasn't content with that. He wasn't content with what God had given him, he desired something that wasn't his. Well, one of the things that I want to share with you too is that there is one thing that will break coveting. One thing will break coveting, and that is God's grace. God's grace will break coveting. How? How does God's grace break coveting? Well, I'll tell you about the story of Zacchaeus. Y'all remember Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man. And he couldn't see Jesus, so he got the bright idea, which is awesome, to climb up in the tree so he could see Jesus. Jesus sees not a man in a tree, but faith. Everybody else saw a fool in a tree. Jesus saw faith that can move mountains. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to go to your house today. Everybody said, doesn't he know who Zacchaeus is? He's a what? He's a thief, tax collector, a sinner. He's no good. He's a coveter. He takes what is not his. He's a thief. He's a tax collector, right? And what did Zacchaeus do? When Jesus came to Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus said, Lord, I'm going to give back and some to everybody that I've taken advantage of. Grace broke the back of coveting. Grace broke its back. And I want you to know that you may have issues in your life that you've coveted things, positions, whatever it may be. But if you'll get up in that tree and look to Jesus, Jesus will come to your house today. Amen. And just like Jesus said, he, Jesus said, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to you today. Salvation has come to you today, Zacchaeus. If, if you've been longing for things that aren't yours, I want you to know that, that God will come to you right where you are and will break the back of that coveting. In other words, if, can, you, can you just picture this for a second? Just picture this for a second, right? At one time in Zacchaeus' life, he couldn't get enough money. But when Jesus came into his life, he was content with Jesus and didn't need any of that. If I've got Jesus, I've got all that I need. I don't need that stuff anymore. I don't need that position. I don't need that job. I don't need a spouse that God didn't give me. I don't need a kid if God doesn't give it to me. I don't need money if God didn't give it to me. I don't need a house if God didn't give it to me. I don't need a new car if God didn't give it to me. I don't need all that. If I've got Jesus, I've got all that I need. That's what Zacchaeus got. That's the revelation Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus found contentment when Jesus came to his house. At one time, he had an insatiable desire for more money. But when Jesus showed up, that desire was broke. Grace breaks the back of coveting. If you'll realize that you can be content in Christ, it'll break the back of coveting that which you don't have right now. That which you don't have right now. I'm not saying God will never give you whatever your desire is. I'm saying God's time, not yours. Trust God with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. God's time is the right time. Come on now. If you'll rest in God's time, it'll bring peace. No pressure. Do you realize that when Zacchaeus gave all that money back and some, that all that pressure left, do you think that he didn't walk in peace knowing he had everything if he had Jesus? That's why Jesus said, Today, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your house. A couple of things that, that I want to get into. I want to get into. But first... Let's go to Hebrews chapter number 13. Hebrews 13. Powerful passage right here. Look what it says in verse number five. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Conversation is the way that you live. In other words, let the way that you live be absent from longing for things that you don't have. Well, if my life was like Sister Judy's, I would be all right. Well, if, if, if my life was as good as Brother Bill's, then it'd be all right. I wouldn't have any complaints then. You know what? If you can't be content where you are, you'll never be content. If you can't be content in Christ where you are, you'll never find it. Contentment is in him, not in circumstances. So the Bible says here, let your conversation be without covetousness. That is the way that you live. Be without desiring that which you don't have. And look how it follows up. And be content with such things as you have. What? I don't have nothing. Well, be content with nothing. That's what it says. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with what you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know what? The world can take everything from you, but it can't take God from you. You may end up burying your whole family, but you don't have to go a day without God. He said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. You might go bankrupt ten times. You might be homeless for ten years. You might bury ten children. But the Bible says God will never leave you and never forsake you. Amen. That's how you can be content with what you have. You may not have nothing earthly, but you've got everything spiritually. You've got everything if you've got Christ He said, I'll never leave you. You know, people will leave you. People won't call. People may not text back, but God's always there. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That's the key to finding contentment. You might say, well, it's easy to say be content when you got this, that, and the other. Well, what about me? I don't have this, that, or the other. Well, you know what? When it all boils down to it, all of our things can be taken away Our contentment has to be in one thing, what he just said. Our contentment has to be in one thing, that he's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. That's where I find my peace. That's where I find my joy. That's where I find who I am. That's where I find contentment. Amen? So one other place I want to take you to is over in Philippians chapter number 4. Philippians chapter number four. And we're going to look in verse number 10. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians four, beginning in verse number 10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last. Your care of me has flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. So he's rejoicing because the Philippian church began to support his ministry again. But look what he says in verse number 11. Not that I speak in respect of want. In other words, Paul wasn't up there saying, if you don't give, we're going to go off the air. He wasn't saying that, but he wasn't saying you got to do this out of want. Because look what he says. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. Listen, in whatsoever state I am. Some of y'all need to hear that. Single, married, divorced, house of kids, barren. Employed, unemployed, rich, poor, big house, little house, poor house, mansion house, prison house. In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Paul said, I learned this. You don't just automatically get it. You got to learn it. You got to work at this. Because the enemy is going to always be trying to get you to focus on what you don't have. Comparing you against other folks' lives. But Paul said, I learned. That whatsoever state I'm in, to be content. To be con- Why would you be content being in a prison? Well, it's not because you're content being in a prison. It's not you're, you're just, oh, I'm poor. I'm just happy I'm poor. No, it's because you're content because he's with you. You're content because you're in Christ. That's where contentment comes from. That's where it springs from. That's how you can find whatever state you're in to find contentment when you find Christ. Now watch this. Verse number 12. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Do you know how to do that? Do, do you know how to be abased and how to abound? In other words, come on now Is God only the God of the mountaintop in your life or is he also the God in the valley for you because the enemies of Israel found out God's the God of the valley just as much as he's the God of the mountain but it do us well to remember that we serve the same God when we got money in our pocket and when we don't we serve the same God when our house is full and when it's empty We serve the same God in the good times and the bad times. He's God on the hill. He's God in the valley. Amen. So Paul said, I learned how to, I know, I learned, I know both how to be abased and how to abound everywhere. And in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. In all things, how can you be full and hungry at the same time? Can can you think about this for a second? And we are going to get to the good verse right there? Think about it. How can you be full and hungry at the same time? That means no matter what you have, realize he gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. But still my heart will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen? not finding your contentment in the thing. That's how you can be full and hungry at the same time. God can bless you beyond measure, but you just as well live hungering after God and vice versa. Even when you're starving to death, you can be full because God got you right there. It's a place of contentment. It's a place of contentment. And this next verse says, this famous verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's where that verse comes from. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you when you're content in him. It's not that some you know somebody just says, oh, here's a verse, Philippians 4.13. Whatever you're going through, just pull it out of your pocket and read it and you got it. That's not how it works. Not in the real world. It's called context. The context of that verse is built from a content heart. A content heart can do all things through Christ who strengthens it. A ill content heart can do nothing. Because it's focused on coveting after things that don't belong to it. Contentment produces victory. Contentment produces victory. I got two places to go real quick with you. Two places, real quick. First off, let me take you to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. So 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. One of the things I want to show you in this passage right here is that false teachers and false prophets just. As in our day, the apostle Peter said they're going to be in his day, right? They're in his day. They're in our day. The church has always had false teachers and always will have false teachers. It's the onus is on us to discern the difference, okay? But one of the marks of the false teachers and one of the things that's going to happen, look what it says in verse number one. There were false prophets even among the, also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies. I told you about the 1800s, right? Even denying the Lord that bought them, bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Listen to this right here. Through covetousness. And through covetousness, shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. Hold up. Listen very closely. Through your coveting, they're going to make merchandise of you. In other words, when you begin to covet after things, you set yourself up as a pawn in a false teacher's game. That's what that verse is telling you. Through covetousness, they're going to use feigned words to make merchandise of you. So if you allow yourself to be ill-content with the state you're in, a false teacher is going to find you. That's what he's saying. If you're not content with Christ, a false teacher will find you. There's there's a million different false teachings. It's like counterfeit money. They don't teach bank tellers all the counterfeits. They make bank tellers feel the real thing. You get so acquainted with the real thing, you know when the fake arises, right? Well, listen, there's so many different false teachings. There's so many heresies out there that if you're not content in Christ with the truth, There's one with your name on it. The enemy doesn't play. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy. And if you don't beware and take heed of covetousness, you're setting yourself up for one of these false teachers to grab you. Through covetousness, they with feigned words will make merchandise of you. That's a warning. That's a direct warning shot the church if you're not content with God the enemy's gonna send a false teacher your way amen amen and in closing I'm gonna I want I want to share with you in closing just one thing real briefly about just from a money aspect of this I just want to touch this real quick I just feel led of the Lord to do this Um, it's powerful one of my favorite passages in the Bible and it's, it's about contentment. It's in Proverbs chapter number 30. Uh, let me show you this real quick. Proverbs chapter number 30 as we close tonight. So Proverbs 30. And one of the things about coveting is, like we said, this heart that is not content. Heart that is not Content. And this, this is phrased a little bit hard, so just we're, we're going to work through this, but beginning in, in Proverbs 30, beginning in verse number 7. The Bible says, Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. So there's two things that the writer of Proverbs just absolutely wanted God to do. Absolutely, these two things. Now, as we read this, I want you to think about people that ask and beg for your money on TV. <laughs> I'm be honest. Look what it says in verse number 8. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Just wait a second. Remove the lies from me, and don't give me poverty or riches. That was what the request was. I don't need a new house. I don't need a new car. I don't need new clothes. I don't need new this. I don't need the riches. But watch, watch what, watch why this is what's beautiful. Watch why this request comes forward. Give me neither poverty nor riches, feed me with the food convenient for me. God, whatever it is I need, just give that to me. That's what he means. The food convenient for me is, God, whatever I need, I'm just trusting you for it. I, I don't need a lot. I don't, don't want to starve to death. But God, whatever I need, I just ask you, bring that to my life. Whatever I need, God, whatever is convenient for me. Where is that? That's a place of contentment. That is finding, you know what? God's going to do what he wants to do in my life, and I'm going to be content with it. I don't need 5,000 thises and 2,000 thats. I don't need my name written in lights. I don't need new houses. and co- I don't need all that. God, just give me what I need. That's finding contentment in your provider, your Jehovah-Jireh. And look at this next part. He, he kind of fills in the blanks right here. Feed me with the food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. See the two extremes? The two extremes is when you're focused on the riches, you don't need God no more. If everything's going hunky-dory, you don't need God. That's what he's saying. He said, God, don't don't allow. Can, Can you imagine somebody saying this on TV today? God, don't allow me to get to the place where I don't need you anymore. Don't let me get over there to where I don't have to focus on things. Don't let me get over there to where I've got a plethora of things. I don't need that because I won't need you then. Don't let me get to that place, God. Just give me exactly what I need. Nothing more and nothing less. Because if I have, if I'm, if my, if I'm starving to death, I might steal and take your name in vain. Because I'm not trusting you like I should. But God, I'm just releasing this care to you right now. And I just pray, Lord, you give me what I need, whatever's convenient for me. Amen. This, this is a is a Spiritual carbon copy of what Paul wrote in Philippians 4. Spiritual carbon copy of it. It's finding your contentment in the lot that God's got you in. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to hear your word.